0: Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus more than we love trying to hang on to the very last days of summer. How many are sorry to see summer go? Okay, a couple of you. Here's, here's the thing I want to ask you because a lot of people try to like say it's not fall yet, it's not fall yet. And technically, it's not until I think Wednesday or something is the first day of fall. But uh, let me ask you this. How many of you have already started putting up like fall decorations? Yeah because fall is here. Here's, here's another way that you can definitely tell. How many of you have had a pumpkin spiced anything? <laughs> yeah, fall is here. Now, here's the one that's the killer, the definitive one, and we try to hold on not doing this as long as possible. How many have had their heat on at any time in the last couple of weeks? Even in the car, that counts because fall is here, all right. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Just one thing, before we get started this morning, uh, there is one thing I just want to clear up, and I want to hit on because there were some questions about it. Last week, last week, myself and Rachel and some of the, well, the entire tech team, uh, we were gone to Awakening Fest, but there was a couple of questions that came up, and I just want to make sure that they get uh, cleared up um, regarding um, the message Diana gave last week, and it's, it's important, just so there's clarity between everybody, first and foremost, Samsung Galaxy X6 rumored to come out in, uh, February or March of 2015, and for the record, um, that is exactly when my contract is up, so I am available to update, but as Diana pointed out last week, I should be content (laughs) with what I have, and I will try to be, um, Probably not. But uh, the iPhone 6 actually came out on Friday. Did anyone see all the lines everywhere? I was in the mall looking for other stuff and just saw lines of people everywhere. Uh, All of you who have a Blackberry or a Windows phone, you kind of just have to deal with what you got till you come to your senses and go to something else. But um, this week, um, we we are um, going to talk about well, we're going to jump into a series that we're not fully jumping into, so to speak. I'm going to talk about it a little bit this week. And then uh, next week, John is actually going to be, um, and now that I put him on the spot, he's like, oh, yeah, what, what am I going to speak about? <laughs> but, hey, listen, how many of you guys were here last week and heard Diana speak? Did you guys enjoy that? And Yeah. Awesome. Praise God. John is going to speak next week. I love the fact that we have uh, lots of people who will bring uh, The Word of God, that's most important, that they're coming from the Word of God uh, and bringing it from their human perspective because that makes us, gives us different perspectives. Rather than here's what Floyd says, it's all about here's what the Word of God says. Actually, next year sometime, I haven't told any of them this, uh, I want to do a series called God Is... Really, just bringing to light here's what God is and bringing it from all of these different perspectives. Because Stephen's perspective is probably going to be God is something that is meant to be, or someone who is meant to be shared, because he's got that evangelical bent. Um, Diana's perspective, have no idea. <laughs> uh, Pat, where's Patty? Patty's perspective is probably going to be, and this is just my opinion, but whenever she preaches and, and shares a word, it always ends up sounding, is it really that simple? Yeah, it is, because she always brings it down to a easy as one, two, three. Here's what the Word of God says, and here's how we do it. And uh, I just love that we have people who are able to share God's Word. Um, so we'll, we'll, I have no idea when we're going to do that series, uh, but I do want to do it. Um, and it's not so that while they're speaking, I can be gone, because I want to be here and I want to I hear it, but it's so that we can hear the Word of God. Because whether it's me or Patty or Stephen or whoever or John or Diana, Uh, bringing it. It should still come from here. This is what God says. Thus saith the Lord. Alright? But speaking of teaching series, this morning um, we are kind of, uh, oh that was the whole God is thing. This morning we're talking about the fact that um, I want to jump into this series based on the surveys that you guys did. How many of you guys remember the surveys you filled out? Yeah. How many of you guys thought I forgot about it? (laughs) Thank you for your support. Okay, but for those of you who don't know, you guys asked these surveys, and, and this morning I want to tump, jump on to one aspect of it, and that is unity within the church. And for you guys who don't remember or don't recall, uh, we started by asking, and so many of you guys filled this out more than I thought, uh, what do you worry about? Like, what kind of things are you concerned about? Uh, what things do you lay awake at night uh, like, like, ah, what is going on with this? Uh, what things cause your blood pressure to rise? What kind of things are you worried about? It may be like, you know, what's going on in the world. It may be about the health financial crisis. It may be the Ebola thing. It may be, you know, what the heck is wrong with Ben? Why can't he get his act together? Whatever it is that you worry about, um, we want to, you know, I don't think Ben is in here, but we want to share uh, from God's word. And then we asked, um, what do you wonder about? What kind of things do you like? I wish I knew or understood this thing better or why such and such happens. So what do you worry about? What do you wonder about? Uh, And then we also said, what do you wish for? Because dreams are powerful motivators. So uh, what things do you uh, kind of dream that if money were no object, if time were not an issue and age were not an issue and nothing could stop you, what things would you love to do? It may be to travel, uh, it may be to start a business. It may be to run for office, Madam Mayor Bonnie. Just throwing that out there. But whatever whatever dreams you have, uh, we wanted to share those with you from um, the Word of God. Now, here's the thing: what we're talking about today wasn't the response that had the highest in either worrying or wonder or wish for it. wasn't the highest category. I'll share that data with you in a couple of weeks when we start the series. This is kind of just like a prelude to the series, and I was going to push it back, but I really wanted to kind of dig into it this morning. But this was the topic that was number one across all three areas. So this was the topic, unity in the church, which surprised me. I didn't think that would be the number one. I was expecting money or health or... Steelers, uh, something else to be across all three. But the number one was unity in the church, which means that people were worrying about why isn't the church, you know, more unified. What's, what's the problem? What's the issue? They were wondering, you know, why, when is the church going to get their act together? What's keeping the church from doing that? And they were wishing for unity in the church, more, um, across all denominations, more things where the church was coming together. So uh, I thought, hey, we're going to start uh, and hit this topic first. Now, although the entire series, uh, I'm just, I just named it You Asked For It because it's in response to things that you were um, asking about in the survey, um, for today's purposes, just for today only, as opposed to You Asked For It, I'm going to call it The Gospel According to Marvel Comics. And before anyone, like, I see the faces already, like, here we go again. But before you do, let me, let me share with you why. This is important. This is, this is just give me, like, seven minutes, focus, pay attention, and I can explain this to you. And before anyone says I'm not blaspheming and saying that, you know, Marvel is preaching the gospel because we just spent, like, 16 weeks all summer long talking about the gospel. And uh, Marvel is owned by Disney. They're definitely not preaching the gospel. But, but, okay, um, and I'm not just doing it because comic, comic books are cool, Although they are. But Marvel Studios has gotten the message that instead of focusing on an individual or one organization, bringing multiple organizations or individuals together is powerful and that people respond to that. Now, let me show you why. Again, just just bear with me for like another three minutes. I know some of you guys are going to like, okay, but just bear with me, okay? How many of you guys have seen um, the movie Iron Man? Came out in 2008. Okay, for this half, because you're the only ones that seen it. 2008 movie Iron Man came out, made 585 million dollars, which is a lot of money. You know, most movies make you know 100, 200, 300 million if they're really blockbusters, five hundred and eighty five million dollars. Mostly because although there've been superhero movies, no one has ever done Iron Man before because he's a robot and he ends up looking like Robbie the robot if you try to do it. But they made it look really, really cool. Okay? So first one came out five hundred and eighty five million. Second one came out six hundred and twenty four million dollars. Just under like six twenty three, seven hundred something thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Okay? Bear with me. I know. I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm the, we're getting to the Bible. Just bear with me. All right? That came out in 2010. 2011, then Marvel said, hey, let's take all these great comic book heroes who have never really been in the movies. There have been TV shows done about them, but TV doesn't have as big of a budget as a movie. So they said, let's do Thor. How many saw Thor? First one, $449 million. The second one, made way more than that. How many guys saw Captain America, the first Avenger? The first one that came out only made $370 million only because it was about his life, and the majority of his life was during World War II. When they brought him into our current time, did the second one, it more than doubled that figure when they did the second Captain America movie. I am getting to the Bible. Bear with me, okay? All right. Now, here's what happened. Marvel said, hey, look, all these individual superheroes are making us a lot of money. What would happen if we took all of them and put them all into one movie, which from a movie perspective, you're not supposed to do because if I'm an Iron Man fan, and let's say Andrew is a Thor fan, and let's say that you know, Jake is a Captain America fan, we want our hero to have top billing and see more of them. So you really don't put them all together in a movie because then most people won't enjoy it as much. But they put all of them together, took a couple of other heroes, threw them in to the Avengers, and it made $1.5 billion, 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 billion dollars with a B. And in the movie, instead of profiling one hero as the highlight, they profiled all the flaws of the heroes, all the issues that each hero had in working with the other. But then they profiled the heroes putting their issues aside and working together for the common good. Can anyone see where I'm I'm going with this? Okay. All right. Now, here's the thing. One more. Just give me one more minute. Here is the thing. Marvel said this should work with anything. Because if this is true, that people really like bringing the heroes together, then we should be able to take some no-name heroes, bring them all together, and do just as good. So how many of you guys have heard of the movie Guardians of the Galaxy? Okay, how many went to see it? Okay, hands down for a minute. How many heard of it before the movie came out? Okay, Joe (laughs) and me. And it wasn't even the original Guardians of the Galaxies. They took all these, I don't know if you can see this picture clearly, it made $618 million, and that's only since August. It's still in theaters. It's not done yet. And no one had ever heard of these heroes prior to the movie coming out. And the original comic, Guardians of the Galaxies, uh, the original ones are not even these guys. And the one that's this, until the movie came out, It wasn't even being published anymore because nobody was buying it. But Marvel said, hey, if people really want to take separate heroes and watch them put their issues aside and then watch them come together against the common good, the theory is it should work with these guys even though eh, no one's really heard of them. And it did because this 618 million, actually more than that, and it's still in theaters. It's got at least another four to six weeks in theaters. So by the time it's done, close to seven, if not a billion, at least close to seven or $800,000 from a group that no one really ever heard of until they said, we're going to make a movie about it. All right? The reality is, and if you don't see where I'm going with this, here's, Marvel said, hey, you know what? We'll take all these individual superheroes who can't really save the world on their own, and we will bring them together And then as they come together and put their issues aside, they can save the world. Now do you see where I'm going with this? Because we're talking about unity in the church. And no matter what denomination you're talking about or what church you're talking about, one denomination or one congregation cannot save the world. But if all of the Christ followers put their differences aside and break down the walls that separate us, And come together, if you take the spirit-filled Bible-believing and Bible-reading, because if you're not reading your word, then you don't know what you're doing. If you take all of those Christ followers and put them together, we can change the world for the better. We can make a difference in the entire world globally, not just in one community, not just in one uh, plan of of houses, but all over the world. So this morning, in response to your um, surveys, We're going to read some comic books. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Can you guys come up? And I'm going to hand out some comic books. I am just kidding. I am so kidding. I am just so kidding. The look, if there was a camera up here, the look on some of your faces was like eyes were rolling up. Like, are you kidding me? But no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two things really quickly uh, with respect to unity in the church. First, uh, we're going to talk about why isn't the church united? the church, the big C, the body of Christ. And then what can you as individuals do to unite it? Because there is something that we as individuals, not just, hey, what can Crossroads do, but what can you as an individual do uh, to unite the church? Now, first and foremost, let me say this. This is not an attack on denominations, okay? There is nothing wrong with denominations. There is something wrong with the walls that separate us. There's nothing wrong with saying, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a whatever. There is something wrong with saying, because I'm that, I cannot connect with you. All right. So first, open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 17. We talked about this verse uh, a couple of weeks ago. But before we dig into some more stuff, I want to show this to you and walk through it again. Because in John chapter 17, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under your seat, left, right, front of you, or behind you somewhere. Because I want you to follow along and see that I am not making this stuff up. Uh, In the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in your New Testament, Jesus actually prays for him. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus prays for the church. And in John chapter 17, in verse 20, this is what he says. He's been praying. But then he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples, that's who he was praying for at first. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, who do you think that is? That's anyone who calls themselves a Christ follower, filled with God's Holy Spirit, after the apostles. Because what we heard was their message. None of us have physically or were physically present When they were talking with Jesus, but we are recipients of through the Bible and through wherever you, if you got saved by hearing the word preached uh, in your home, someone shared it with you, um, in a church, someone shared it with you, or just by reading the Bible and realize, wow, I need to give my heart to Christ. Then we are hearing what they preach. So Jesus said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And what he is praying for, now, there is only one God, okay? This is, this is the, the, the message of the Trinity. There's only one God, but there are three who's. There's one God, but there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, Jesus knows there's only one God, but he's praying for a level of unity that the church would have just like he and the Father has. So there is only one church, one body of Christ, but billions of Christ-following believers. Does that make sense? No one's shaking their head. Let me try it this way. Okay, okay. I mean, there is only one church. That's, that's what they're supposed to be. One church... Whether you call yourself a Baptist Christ follower, a United Methodist Christ follower, a Pentecostal Christ follower, a Church of God Christ follower, doesn't matter what you call yourself, if you're a part of the body of Christ, there's only one. Think of it this way, there's only going to be, there's only going to be one graduating class from TJ for 2015, right? There are going to be hopefully hundreds of students that are a part of that graduating class and maybe another handful that are graduating after summer school. But in essence, one graduating class, but lots of people are a part of it. There's supposed to be one church with billions of people that are a part of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, now, here's what else he says, and this is awesome. He says that you, uh, sorry, got to back up to where I was. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, Jesus says that we're supposed to be in complete unity. All, the one church with the billions of followers whether it be past, present, future, all are supposed to be in unity. We're supposed to be all in line and in sync with each other. And actually, if you look in the uh, King James uh, Version, it says that we may be perfect, perfect unity. In other words, the, the way that we go out and share the message, uh, the, the theology of who God is, is supposed to be all in perfect unity. But here's the thing. We're not there today, are we? We're not. And it doesn't matter what denomination you are, whether it be Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever, uh, that there are some that reach across denominational lines. That's great. But there are many, the majority, that say it's all us or nothing. And that's not what we just read. That's not what Jesus prayed for. Now, here's what happened. How do we get here? This is, this is important. Long story short, somewhere along the line, there were some people... That instead of, as Jesus prayed, that the, we, they would hear and be saved through the message of the apostles. There were some people that said, I know better than the people that spent time with Jesus, the people that talked to Jesus, the people that loved on Jesus. And I know better than the Jesus who shared his word with us. And they decided, I'm going to do things this way or this way or this way or this way. And it started out okay, because some said, well, I love God's word, but we should focus on feeding the poor more. That's okay. But then they made that their main thing, and they shunned anyone who didn't do it their way. There's some who said, well, we should focus on the power of the Holy Spirit more, and that's okay. But then they shunned those who didn't. There's some who said we should focus on baptism more, and they shunned those who didn't. It's not the bad part that you focus on something and say, let's do this. But when you exclude everyone that's not doing it your way, that's not what God intended, okay? Now, here's this, here's this. Once people started deciding that they knew better than Jesus, they knew how to do it better, uh, this is what they did. They started reflecting what is in the culture. And reflecting, when you reflect something, that means that you, if you look in the mirror and you see your reflection, you see what's a reflection What's there, you see here. What's here, you see there. And what happened was people started reflecting what was in the culture. Rather than focusing on the word of God, they started saying this thing that's in the culture, that the culture is doing, that's okay to do that thing in the church. And sometimes it's okay depending upon what you do but sometimes it's not because it has a stronger impact. Let me give you an example, and a lot of people don't know this, and a lot of people, um, when slavery came out, when it stopped, all right, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons it stopped was because people in the church rose up and said, hey, that is not cool, okay? And some of you, I mean, some of you are already aware of this. What a lot of people don't know is that one of the reasons why it blew up so big is because people in the church said, yes, that is okay. And it became so acceptable because the church started reflecting what the culture was doing. And then the ones who should have stood up and said it's not, kept their mouths closed. And they allowed what was in the culture to be reflected in the church, okay? Now, the same thing is happening today if you look at sexuality, and I'm not going to jump into all that, but the church is allowing things that the culture says is okay to be reflected in the church. That's not supposed to happen. All right? Because once they start reflecting what's in the culture, then they start believing what's in the culture. Now, there's a difference. It's one thing to say, hey, what they're doing out there, it's Okay? When you start believing it, you cross a line because then you say, not only is it okay, but what they say is true, is right, and what God says is wrong. Then you've crossed a line. You're no longer just reflecting what's in the culture. You're believing what's in the culture. And here's what happens when you start believing what's in the culture. Today, let me bring it local, within our community within a five to seven mile radius of where we are gathered this morning, there are multiple congregations, Elizabeth, West Mifflin, Claritin, uh, something I'm leaving out, all over this place. Okay? Also within a five to seven mile radius are churches that have started believing what's in the culture. So they, they, they preach and teach that Jesus did not really exist. They preach and teach that there is no heaven there is no hell. They preach and teach that God is okay with whatever we do, and they preach and teach that this isn't real. It's not a historical document, it's not a spiritual document. It's just a document, a book that someone wrote to guide us to God. And this is not my opinion. I've sat and listened to conversations and had conversations with pastors of these congregations as they shared this information. Now, it's not up to me to say what you should or should not share, but these are the same people that are calling themselves Christians, just like you and me. So when we go to someone and say, hey, I'm a Christian and here's what I believe, they say, well, you're wrong because the Bible is not actually real. Jesus did not actually exist because they heard that from another Christian who happened to reflect what was in the culture, and then started believing what was in the culture. This is the world we live in today. This is not teaching the word of God. This is not the church that Jesus gave his life for. And again, I'm not coming down on denominations. I'm just sharing uh, here's, here's where we are. Now, here's the thing. The last thing where they cross the line is they go from reflecting what's in the culture and believing what's in the culture to actually worshiping what's in the culture. After they've said, hey, you know what, we're going to let this thing come into the culture, and we're going to do this, and then they said, this is right, and God's word is wrong, then they begin to worship this image of a God that they created. They create this God that says, hey, um, I don't like some of the things that God says, so I'm going to take out the things I don't like And I'm going to create a God who accepts the things that I do like. Now, um, the rest of these verses I'm going to put up here on the screen. But in the book of Exodus, you can write this down if you want. And and many of you are familiar with this. Chapter 20, verses 3 to 4. This is what God says. Check, check. Am I on? Okay. You shall have no other gods before or besides me. This is the amplified version. You shall not make yourself any graven image to worship it or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. This is God basically saying, you're not supposed to make yourself, a graven image, make yourself some image and worship it as God. But if you take out certain parts of the word of God, of what God says, and say, well, it's now acceptable and God is wrong, you have created, am I still on? I feel like I'm dropping in and out. Okay, it, you have created a God in your own image. You violated one of the very first commandments that God gave to his people. Don't create a God in your own image. It would be like someone coming to you, and I'm, don't, ladies, don't yell at me later, but your husband coming to you and saying, you need to change your hair, uh, dress this way, start cooking this way, start talking this way. In other words, they didn't like you the way you were, they start trying to change you into, I should say that, ladies do that to the men. But they start trying to change, right, I'm going to get off of that. But do, you, do you, get, you understand what I'm saying? You're trying to create what you want instead of accepting God the way that he wants us to be. Now, we know for a fact, we know for a fact that that's not what God wanted. That God wants us to be unified. He wants us across denominational lines to still be, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist. When we got together with uh, Calvary Chapel, I got a shirt in that name, CCSB, Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, and we've done lots of things with them and other churches, it's because we want to say, hey, regardless of what denomination you're in or what location you're in, we are still the body of Christ, and we want people in the community to see us hanging out together, worshiping together, and spending time together. Because that's what the church is supposed to be. When we get up to heaven, there's not going to be, you know, when we at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's not going to be like when you go to weddings, there's a table for this family or that family. There's not going to be a Baptist table. There's not going to be a United Methodist table. There's not going to be a Presbyterian table because they won't be in heaven. But no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm joking. I take that back. I'm joking. I'm so joking. It was a joke. Okay. But there's not going to be a table separated where all these different people are set I was really joking. We're going to. I'm not to edit that out, but uh, there's not going to be a separate table for all these different denominations. It's just going to be literally, if you can get this in your mind, billions upon billions of people just hanging out together, regardless of what denomination you are, worshiping together, spending time together, and fellowshipping with God together. That's all there's going to be. All right. Now let me show you this, because um, oh, this was pretty cool. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day as I wrapped this up, listening to a podcast the other day, and um, the the pastor that was speaking, and Christy heard this as she was walking by, and as she heard it, she was like, what? That doesn't make sense. This is exactly what he said, and I'm going to ask you guys to do the same. Everybody lift up a Bible. Just hold up your Bibles really quick because I want to show you something, and we're not doing the the Joel Osteen thing, but um, open your Bible to the chapter on denominations. Yeah, because there's no, of all the things that God tells us about, all the things that God tells us to do, and it's literally, there's so much information about how you can live your life better, how you can make sure that you're holding your marriages better, how you can um, engage with your children better, engage with your spouse better, literally everything that God covers to allow us to interact, he totally leaves out and doesn't even discuss. Here's how you do denominational worship. Because his concept is not that we be separate, but that we all be unified. Now, I'm going to put these verses up on the screen. And this is what Paul tells four different congregations over and over. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile." So Paul says the power of God brings salvation to who? To who? To who? Everyone. Everyone. Well, and it, some people will say, well, that's because the word, you know, United Methodist didn't exist yet. No. It's because it's for everyone. And he breaks it down because at that time there were two people from a Jewish perspective, okay, and from a non Jewish perspective. That's all there were. Jewish people, everyone else considered Gentile. So Paul is writing and saying, if you're Jewish, meaning you're biologically a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and through that descendant line, then you can be saved through the power of God. If you are not, which is everyone else on the planet, you can be saved through the power of God. Everyone, it's not for any specific denomination or based on how you believe. Then he tells them again this, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter what denomination you are, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't matter what race you are, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he goes on and he tells the church in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, now most theologians believe that there wasn't a specific city called Galatia that this was written to. They believe there was an area or a region called Galatia, and the intent was to circulate this letter amongst all the people in that area, and to these people, in chapter 3, he writes, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, all of you, for all, excuse me, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now again, he says there's not Jew or Gentile, So no matter what your religious affiliation is, done. You cannot separate yourselves or elevate yourselves based on that because he says you're all one in Christ. Then he says there's neither slave nor free, which was huge because there was this economic divide. And for us today, instead of slave or free, you could put it working class and upper class. Those people who have to, like, me, you have to work because you got to pay off house and car and debt, and you got kids and family to raise, and those people who you don't have to work. Now, when we lived in Virginia, and it was funny because a lot of people consulted with and worked with the government, and as you know, you know government keeps changing hands, Democrat, Republican, whatever, and periodically there was someone who, well, I'm out of a job again because, you know, government just changed from this party to that party. And I'm like, what are you going to do? And they're like, oh, I'm going to take three to six months, travel around the world, go to Europe, go to Alaska, go whatever, and hang out and figure out what to do next. In my mind, those are people that don't have to work. If you can take off six months and just go travel around the world, still pay your bills and all that stuff, you don't have to work. But they do work because they love it, and I'm sure that... They have a certain amount of savings, but after that, they do have to work. But whether your economic situation is one where you are working from paycheck to paycheck or paycheck to paycheck isn't even meeting your needs, or you're working one where one of your paychecks covers you for the year, no matter what, he says that you are all one in Christ. And some people can take this to a political affiliation because if you're of the mindset that, as some people are, all the poor people are Democrats and all the rich people are Republicans, covers that as well. And then he says, there is neither male nor female. So whether you're a feminist or whether you're a, uh, what do they call them, male, chauvinist, pig, doesn't matter. God says, if you are willing to give your heart to him, you are all one in Christ. He doesn't tell you to continue in those ways, but he accepts you as you are. Then Paul tells... He writes a letter to the Colossians and chapter three, he says in verse nine, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, meaning you are no longer like you were. You have allowed the Holy Spirit of God to come into you. You are a new creation and he says, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So you're in a progressive state of knowing more and becoming like Christ. And here he says, here, in that place of knowing more and becoming like Christ, there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is all. And now, instead of just addressing the Jews and the Gentiles, he addresses the circumcised or the uncircumcised. The circumcised were the Jewish people who believed that their circumcision put them in right standing with God. For us today, it would be the people who believe that I can work my way to heaven. And Paul is saying whether you believe you can work your way to heaven or whether you have not worked your way, but if you accept Jesus Christ, circumcised or uncircumcised, your righteousness is not based on what you do, he says then you are one in Christ. And the words barbarian and Scythian, barbarians were people they believed to be uneducated, Scythians were people that they believed to be extremely uneducated, incapable of functioning. If you were to look at this today, what a lot of theologians say is this is uh, what a lot of people do, is they look at some people and say, hey, you're uneducated, and so they put their hands out and extend them, and they want to be separated from them because they think that they're not worthy. And Paul is saying, but if God puts his, they put their faith and trust in Christ, then they are one in Christ as well. And if you look at um, in the Scythian as those who are unable to function, whether they be special needs or handicapped or whatever, if they put their faith in Christ as well, then they are all part of the family and we are all united. And God looks at me the same way He looks at the Republican, the Democrat, the black person, the white person. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter if you're trying to work your way into heaven, or even if you have never thought about God before. Once you put your faith in Him, He says you are all one in Christ now. So it doesn't matter where you live and you decide, well, I'm going to go to the little Presbyterian church or the little United Methodist church or the little Pentecostal church or the little non-denominational church. From God's perspective, we are all one in Christ. All right. So let me let me put this last verse and then I'm going to close Uh, He writes to Corinthians, and we've looked at this verse before. He says, I appeal to you, some versions say, I beg you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. God wants us to be united. His goal is that the church be united. That doesn't mean that you can't go to whatever little church is in your neighborhood. In my mindset, the church you should go to is the one that's right closest to you so that when they do outreach to the community or do things to help in the community, you help. But if you find somewhere else to go, like some of you come from out of your communities to here, great, that's awesome. Because no matter where you go, we are still all one in Christ. Now, I want to show you this really quickly because does this sound like God wants us, and again, I am not bashing denominations, although it sounded like I bashed one denomination. I am not bashing denominations, but does this sound like God wants us to have separations between us, regardless of what denomination you are? No, it sounds like he wants us to be together. If your kids grow up, or when your kids grow up, or some of us have grown kids and we still say, if they grow up. And they all start looking back at you and they start separating from each other. Like if my son Jonathan were to say to my daughter Fallon, I'm no longer going to associate with you because you live in this city and you like that sports team and you live in this city. I'm going to look at them like, are you crazy? What in the ham sandwich is wrong with you? If they look together and, and, and Jonathan says, well, hey, you know what? When it's time to not worship dad, but buy dad a Father's Day gift or a birthday gift, And he does. I'm going to get him comic book related stuff. But then Brandon says, well, I like music, so I'll write him a song. And then they look at each other and say, well, I can no longer associate with you because this is the way that you're showing your love to God. I'm going to look at them like, what is wrong with you? And that is the way that God looks at us when we sit and we say, I'm not going to associate with you because you worship God this way and I want to worship him this way. So here's the answer to the question. How do we get back on track? You can do this, each and one of you can do this. Unite the church, the big C, body of Christ, by serving together. Now what this means is many of you have family members that go to the other churches, yes? Anyone, family members that go to other churches? Okay, I'm not gonna ask for like a list of names, but you have family members that go to the other churches and when they do stuff uh, out in the community, go with them. When you do stuff, many of you go to like Special Olympics, Regardless of what church they go to, you go there, you help out, invite them. Uh, I help out at the food bank. There are people from uh, CCSP that help out at the food bank. Literally, there are people from a lot of different denominations that help out at the food bank. And when we go and we say, let's do a community celebration together, they're the first ones to say, yeah, why not? You know why? Because we've broken down the denominational walls because we're all serving together. We get to know each other. We realize, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Let's all do some stuff together. And you can invite people, whether it be Meals on Wheels, wherever you go to volunteer to help out, invite people from other denominations to go help out with you. But you can also do it, Chuck, Chuck, okay. You can also do it by celebrating together. And I don't just mean the worship celebration, I mean having fun, do fun stuff together. Best in a burger. Had a great time. And it wasn't just because we were there, it's because we were there with other people, from other congregations. Had a great time. When we do beast feasts, we always try to do it with other congregations. The goal of these things is so that people see the church coming together, having fun together and say, "Hey, I want to have fun with you guys too." Sure, come on, have fun. But you can celebrate together, and when you do that more often, what ends up happening is you start breaking down the walls. Let me give you an example. Diana left, but um, we are trying to, you guys know we do a Thanksgiving Eve celebration. We've been doing for how long, Gary? 20, 30 years, way before I come, with two or three churches in West Elizabeth, okay? And what someone suggested was, hey, why do we only do it with them? Because we do it with these churches. Uh, there's a couple other churches that do theirs together and a couple other churches that do theirs together. Someone suggested, why not just get all the churches in the school district and do one big Thanksgiving celebration? in a public place, invite the community to come. Everyone in the community celebrates Thanksgiving, except for those who are going to be at work, and even they celebrate it, but everyone celebrates it, so why not bring them all together, and if we can get the school district to go, then start reaching out until we get everyone in the surrounding area to come together and celebrate together. I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. Diana is working on uh, trying to find a, a, a location for us, and I'm trying to work on finding a location, but the other thing you can do is just serve together, celebrate together, and when you do that, then we end up saving others together. I'm going to ask the band to come up because we're going to close on this thought. How many of you guys remember the uh, Franklin Graham Three Rivers of Hope? And I showed you guys the stats a couple of weeks ago that there were some, uh, I don't think I have them here. No, I don't. Okay. There were some over 2,000, almost 3,000 people that committed their lives to Christ. And it wasn't, get this, it wasn't because Franklin Graham was successful. It was because 500 congregations, over 500, came together and they served together for over a year. Trying to put this thing together. They celebrated together for three days. It was a three-day thing. And then they saved thousands of people together. Because they didn't see one church doing it. They saw the church coming together. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. And then we're going to close out with one uh, celebratory song. And um, as you interact with people, take this to heart. This is something that every single one of us can do. We don't have to wait for you know, the pastor to do it or a team leader to do it. This is stuff that we can do. We can serve with people from other congregations, celebrate with them. And hopefully we'll save souls together. God, we just praise you so much. And thank you. Uh, for all of your blessings. We thank you that we get the opportunity to be in your kingdom, be a part of your kingdom. And we pray for every God-honoring, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, and reading local congregation. And we pray that we can be a part, along with them, of hoping to break down denominational walls. Not because it's what we think is best, but because as Jesus prayed, the church coming together Is a biblical sign that God exists and that He loves us, and that He poured out His forgiveness and grace and mercy on us. And we pray this.